Hey everyone, David Chen here, and welcome to a bonus episode of the podcast. I recorded this bonus episode a couple weeks ago with my fiance in the wake of Star Wars The Last Jedi. The reason we recorded this was because while she liked the movie okay, she also had a lot of problems with the film and didn't feel like her issues were being represented anywhere. Uh, of course, that was a few weeks ago. A lot more pieces have come out in the last few weeks talking about issues with the film ranging from uh, difficulty with its place in the canon as well as just from a pure filmmaking perspective. So anyway, I didn't get around to editing this until recently, uh, but I thought, hey, what better time than now to release this podcast episode when Star Wars' box office is already crested and no one cares what we think about it anymore. It's a bonus episode. Listen if you want a spoiler-filled discussion about issues with The Last Jedi, or don't. Go on with your day, live your life, enjoy yourself. Either way, thanks for considering it, and uh, hope you get something out of the conversation. Thanks. Something. has always been there. But now it's awake. And I need help. I've seen this raw strength only once before. It didn't scare me enough then. It does now. Kill it. If you have to. That's the only way to become what you were meant to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special bonus episode. Uh, I'm David Chen, and joining me today is my fiance. You might know her as at Joy of Napping on Twitter. And we are here today uh, because it's December 23rd as we're recording this. Uh, it's a festivus for the rest of us. Can you please not bang the table? <laughs> um, Some of us are less accustomed to audio equipment. Sorry. Uh, so we're here today because it's a festivus. And as anyone knows about festivus uh, celebrated on December 23rd, uh, there is the airing of grievances that occurs. Now, uh, we recently recorded an episode of the Slash Filmcast that... Uh, covered The Last Jedi again. I've spent three and a half hours on podcast talking about this movie at this point. We is uh, not you and me. That's right. Uh, me and uh, Jeff Kanata and Devinder Hardwar and Lindsay Romain. And uh, got a lot of flack for that episode, including from uh, Peter Serretta himself, editor-in-chief of SlashFilm.com. Oh, Peter was on the first one, right? Yeah, he was on the first one, but he, he basically, many people basically said, I wish there had been someone on that episode that truly disliked the movie. And you are one of those people that truly disliked the movie, isn't that correct? Okay, so that's a rough characterization, in my opinion. I think it was only okay. But for some reason, thinking it was only okay seems like this incendiary stand to take. So I feel mm. like I've been forced into a corner of having to defend why I thought it was only okay, or that it's even permissible for me to think it was only okay. Right. And right. so that, I think, has made me feel, uh, on the one hand, really strident about something I actually just have meh feelings about. It's a strange position to be in. Mm. Uh, well, all that said, we're going to talk today about some of the problems with The Last Jedi. Uh, probably this will be the last time I ever speak about this movie. So let's make, God, it a, I hope so. let's make it a good one. Let's make it a good one. Now, in the last episode of the podcast, I kind of divided people who didn't like this film into three broad categories. I thought that one, was very useful, the way one, you did that. Uh, yeah, category one is your basket of deplorables, the alt-right racists, people who just aren't good people that you know claim they're trying to take down the Rotten Tomatoes audience score of this film. Uh, on purpose because they don't like the progressive politics of the film. Category two, Star Wars fans who are really hardcore and who, who didn't like what this movie did to the mythology. Category three, uh, people who uh, just didn't like it as a piece of filmmaking or weren't super impressed with it as a piece of filmmaking. Now, you don't necessarily need to be in only one of these categories. There can be some bleed through between the categories. But broadly speaking, I thought it was useful to kind of think of it in these three categories. And it's extremely difficult to just be in category three, right? Uh, now, I'm not saying that's Well, what in you order are. to be in Category 3, you almost by definition have to barely have liked or had any attachment to Category... Uh, to, to, Star to, Wars. to Star Wars, which yeah. seems implausible, but yeah. I guess it's possible. So you're more kind of like Category 3, Category 2. I think the way the categories are laid out 
one is the one you don't want to be in, and three is the one you do want to be in. They're kind of like a gradient. Yes. Here, here's my point. All of us long for the moral high ground of category three, right? Because <laughs> it's less impeachable, yep. least impeachable. Um, and I was described by you on the podcast as being category two, which I don't think is totally accurate. I'm just going to say because, uh, to be clear, I haven't even seen all eight Star Wars movies to this point. The episode two, I only watched part of because I was waiting for my screening of Undercover Brother to start, and I was um, really early. So I snuck into episode two, and I was like, wow, this is garbage. I'm glad I'm not paying money for this. I'm not positive I've seen the entirety of episode three. So that's how much of a quote-unquote fangirl I am, is I haven't even fully engaged up until now. So I just want that to be clear that I'm not someone who's like so emotionally vested. Um, on the other hand, I, I, did, I do like the movies, um, and some of them I think are quite powerful. They're not my very favorites. I feel like I'm probably a good middle, middle viewer for this kind of thing. Yeah, you Does that said, make sense? You said you had not seen a clear articulation of all of your problems with this film yet. I mean, you have not spent all this time looking for that clear articulation. You haven't spent hours looking for it, but uh, you hadn't seen someone that really represented your viewpoint. So what is your viewpoint? Yeah, so... I feel like, and let me just quickly say, here's what I'm not going to cover. There are people who seem to have a lot of question marks around plot holes, like do, how do bombers work with gravity and space? Yeah. And you know, yeah, we talked about a lot of these in our in our last episode. And so, so I, I don't want to get into that because those aren't my personal issues with mm -hmm. the film. And also, I think all of these films have some liberties with physics and other things in believability that you kind of just have to roll with. You just have to accept mm -hmm. um, a certain percentage of. And for me, this film did not go above that threshold that was set by all the other films. Does that make sense? Yep. When you first asked me what my reaction to the film was, I, I used the word bewildering. I said that um, several times. And I wanted to try to get into why I find this movie fundamentally just confusing. So I think that if I were charitable, I would use the word confusing. Like, I don't understand. Maybe there's something else there for me to get. If I'm not being charitable, the word I would use is muddy. So the film itself is confused. I'm not confused, right? So I, I don't know which of those it is, to be honest, but it's like somewhere in that territory. And so I sort of thought of it along four different dimensions. So firstly, Sometimes there are times when I don't understand why somebody is doing something from a plot perspective. And the very obvious biggest candidate for this, which I think almost everybody has had an issue with, even people who love the film, is when they decide to do a side plot that's introduced midway through the film to go to a new planet, to go to a casino, to find a code breaker who is hanging out there and convince them, that person theoretically, to join their cause, come back break a code, <laughs> disable something, and then this will allow a few more people to live. Is that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Also, Joseph Kahn's in the chat room. We're honored to have Joseph Kahn, the uh, music video director. And uh, he has made his dissatisfaction with The Last Jedi known. So yes. he is, heartily agrees with you. On, um, on, uh, many well, I think points. Joseph's point, or at least part of his point, I'm going to echo a little bit later. But so from a plot perspective, the casino trip seems certainly unnecessary. Uh, it comes out of nowhere. Uh, the idea that you would even be able to need a code breaker or like as opposed to a code breaker being a piece of software, you know, like there's just a lot of stuff about it that seems very sudden. Um, another thing that isn't clear to me from a plot perspective is like why Rose runs her ship into Finn. Um, like was that needed? And then like, how did they get back to the base without ships? Um, or, like, why does Laura Dern, like, withhold information about the plan from Poe Dameron? Like, uh, I like how you said you wouldn't do plot holes, and this is just a list of what your perceived plot holes are. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do all the plausibility of gravity and mm, physics. The scientific plot holes. Correct. But the, the character. Correct. These are more character I'm not going plot to get into how would a tiny teddy bear, like an Ewok, like, climb onto a stormtrooper. Because it seems slippery. <laughs> um those are the plot issues I had. There weren't a huge number of them, but I did find them sometimes kind of jarring. Yeah, of the ones that you mentioned, I think the one... So you're talking about the, getting the, the Codebreaker Cantobite. What is it that confuses you about that? I mean, everything you said seems pretty straightforward to me. 
you know, got to go get this code breaker. I like. I think you are less bothered by the quest itself and more the implausibility of being able to accomplish that quest in like eight hours or whatever, uh, however long they had in the movie, right? Well, I think a plot theoretically uh, usually <laughs> unfolds through the first, second, and third act, right? And usually climaxes like. 75, right. 80% like side, of the way It's a side quest. It's a it's, side quest. It's a side quest, but there's no like setup that it's ever going to be needed. So it just felt like, oh, we got to this part of the Choose Your Own Adventure book. I guess they're turning left. Like it just felt very random. Mm. That, that to me is kind of a plotting and pacing issue. I don't know if you would disagree with that. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm, more, I'm less bothered by how random it seems and more bothered by the fact that nothing they do has any consequence on that mission. But isn't um, that also a plot weakness? Sure, sure. So anyway, look, out of my four categories, this is the one I have the least issues. Yeah, with. so the one, the, I think the one that is, that the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of bothered by it is, uh, you know, Rose driving out of nowhere to like hit Finn's ship and save him from, uh, save him from defeating this gigantic laser battering ram. Right. right. So from a plot perspective, what a, whatever, I can't, you know, I guess I just have to suck that up. Now, from a character perspective... I found the movie often confusing as well. But this was a moment that I understood from a character's perspective that Rose is very invested in Finn. She wants to save him from what she thinks is his bad decision. And she's willing to potentially kill herself in the going because she loves him, either romantically or platonically. I guess it seems sort of romantically. But does that make sense? Yeah. uh, Twatty Bird in the chat room says, Finn's not even into her. He almost recoils from the kiss. What is this? He asks. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've seen the film twice. I don't, I didn't see like the romance build up there, and yeah, and no, I think most people didn't. But yeah. I, I understand. I don't buy it, like that. There's the chemistry between them, but I understand what at least the filmmaker was attempting to accomplish there. Mm-hmm. You know, like through this gr- very grand, very romantic gesture. Yes, the grandest. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, someone but- in the chat room, liberal, I think, in the chat room said that uh, the whole movie is about the heroes taking actions that are ineffective and that that is a theme of the film. So the whole Cantobite thing and that being inconsequential, like it, it adds to the theme that if you do something, you know, incredibly crazy like this, that it will be paid back to you in a bad way. And that's kind of one of the themes of the movie. Um, so uh, how do you feel like, the movie fits in, or that, that element of it fits in, given that that is a theme of the film. But what would the point be there? It is true that that was an ineffectual mission. It was a bad idea in the first place, and it doesn't work out. Got it. You know, and there are a number of other very heroic moves, mostly from Poe, that also don't work out. But is the thought then that we shouldn't try things if, given the best information we have, we are doing the best we can with who we are. I mean, I, I don't, I don't get where well, that would this, lead. This movie like really, uh, and this leads into some of the bigger themes of the movie, right? It's like this movie really respects the chain of command, respects that, you know, people should, that, that, that sometimes other people do know better than you and you shouldn't just assume that you know the best way to do things. Right. Is that not one of the themes of the film? It, it is to an extent a theme. I think overall uh, obey authority and obey people because they have rank is not something that actually makes any sense in this universe um, and also is not a message that I feel like resonates super well in 2017, 2018. Mm, okay. I don't know if you would disagree with that, but <laughs> I'm not super thrilled with my chain of command as a U.S. citizen right now, so mm. I, I think I'm supposed to hashtag resist. We have much more to discuss, so I don't want to get hung up on this one point, but yeah. So so, so my second bucket, though, is character. Um, so do people do things that make sense from a character perspective? Now, this is where I think a lot of people are like, hashtag not my Luke. Have you mm-hmm. seen this? Yes. yes. Um, so that this Luke Skywalker isn't the, I don't believe, uh, for, for many people, they think that this is not a believable version of what Luke Skywalker would have done with his intervening decades, right? Mm-hmm. I actually don't have an issue with it. I do think this is a bold choice. Is it a subversive choice? I don't know. But like a lot of people have praised Ryan Johnson for making bold choices. Um, also, bold does not mean successful, by the way. Sometimes things are just bold. But I think this is bold. And for me, I don't have any issues with it. So for you, it was bold and successful. 
then? I don't know if it's successful. It just doesn't bother me. <laughs> okay. Like, I, I don't look at this and feel, like, betrayed. Mm-hmm. I, and again, I'm trying to take the film sort of internally just as its own thing, as opposed to it having to bear so much weight from the prior. It, it, it doesn't have no weight from the prior movies, and I'll get into that. But, you know, just internally within this film, as I've mentioned before, I don't really buy it when Luke changes his mind, because Luke has been on this island for decade at least, and turns away Ray so many times. And then it's not clear to me from a character perspective what happens to make him change his mind and then go join the fight. Do you are, have a sense of what are, that is? I mean, R2-D2 playing that holographic video that like tugs at the heartstrings that didn't get to you either? It did, but it didn't seem to get to him. Because <laughs> he, I guess, like he in, says, it's like a cheap shot. He says it's a cheap shot. Doesn't he say to her? He says to her after they play that hologram. He says, "I'm going to train you. I'm going to give you the three lessons. The third lesson of which he never." Has the lessons are all nihilistic. <laughs> okay. The lessons so, are like, give up on the Jedi. Your dream is stupid. Please leave. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah but but I'm, I'm I'm just saying. I I, I think. To your point, you were saying, well, he doesn't do anything to change his mind. And I'm saying, well, he did change his mind. He does start interacting with her. He does open up he to her. He does interact with her. But I, my point is, I don't think enough is seated for me to buy it when he then really inserts himself into the fight in a climactic way. Through the astral projection. Thing. Through the astral projection, yeah. yes. So um, that's that's my, you know... Your assessment, yeah. You, you may buy it. Um, and I don't have issues, again, with like the fact that he had a momentary flash where he thought about murdering Kylo Ren. I know a lot of people have issues with that, but not for me. I'm, uh, I'm okay. I thought it was... Uh, that did not, what you're describing did not bother me. It took him the whole film to come to an, a place where he felt good intervening in, the way that, in a way that used force powers. And I think the movie definitely earns that he, it took him the whole film. I think you're saying even the course of the whole film we just theoretically, what, days, weeks? If he's been in the same place for 10 years, you're saying that you know, no matter how convincing the case Ray made, which was only slightly convincing in your opinion, that uh, that should not have been enough given what you knew about the character. Is that right? I think you would need to see him struggle with it. I just don't have any textual evidence mm. that he's struggling. Yeah. So, uh, Other than that scene with like R2-D2 and he's torn about it and... Uh, and then training Ray, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I guess. Um, I, I mean, I think he comes back really in theory to save Leia. And like that could have been just a little bit. It, it just could have been given to me slightly more so that. A lot of people I are would, saying Yoda in the chat room, like he has the chat with Ghost Yoda. And maybe that helps uh, focus his mind a little bit. If anything, I think that left me in a place where I thought it was less likely that he would be important to the final act and that the final act was going to be they need to save themselves because they don't need Luke Skywalker. The mm. force was in them all along. So what I'm trying to paint the picture of is that from a character perspective, from a plot perspective, there would be things that happened that I felt came out of nowhere and that's why I was confused. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this decision came out of nowhere. Um, I feel like the... Um, like Kylo Ren killing Snoke came out of nowhere. Kylo Ren then not killing his rival Hux also was like, wait, what? You know, so there were just a number of things that were. Well, he needs Hux to do his bidding for him. Doesn't yeah. does he? He has like several million other people. It seems like, <laughs> and Hux doesn't seem that great. Uh, Snoke uh, Snoke makes the point. Hey, like, look at how if you if I like treat this guy in this way, he can do cool things for me. So I feel like that is at least the Hux thing at least is. I can understand that a lot more. Okay, but for me, there are forget some... the fact that Huck tried to kill him, you know, and that Kylo didn't sense that. But yeah. Yeah. So, so there's some inconsistencies within the movie where I'm taken out of it a little bit because I'm like, wait, what's happening, right? So I'm, I'm asking myself the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this gets to my third category, which is a big category. So what are the first two categories again? Remind us. Uh, from a plot perspective yeah. and from a character perspective. Yes. So the like plot things feeling inelegantly. Thrust into the movie. Yes. Character motivations being unclear. Okay. Yes. All right. And then what's or the character third? decisions just seeming to change on I don't know what kind of whim. Okay. Category um, three. I don't understand it from a mythology perspective. So this is where I start to sound like somebody who is in category two uh, of fans right. that don't like the movie. Yeah. Um, so when you have a piece of science fiction or fantasy, obviously you need to establish the rules of the universe. Um, as you get to know the rules of the universe, uh, 
gradually that can be a really wondrous experience for you as a viewer. Um, things you didn't think were possible or things you uh, assumed weren't possible uh, at all, you know, like can suddenly take shape. And you, it's a delicate thing where you have to keep your credibility when there's something magical possible because magic shouldn't mean that everything is possible, right? Because mm -hmm. then, you know, the movie kind of loses its set of boundaries. Okay. Um, so we actually recently rewatched the remastered Terminator Two, yep, and 4K uh, Ultra Terminator Two, uh, which is out on 4K Blu-ray and Blu-ray. And that movie, I had forgotten how cool it is that they introduce without any exposition all the powers of the liquid metal Terminator and like what, like how it functions and the extra things it can do. You're constantly discovering, yeah. And I think that was just very elegant the way that was done in that movie. Um, in this movie, I feel like there are times when you learn new things about the Force. I'm not saying we have to be slavishly devoted to everything we already knew about the Force, and that's it. You know, the whole book has been written. There are times when things feel like a natural, additional extension. To me, the astral projection is one of them. I totally buy that he can do that, because we've seen things that are a little bit similar to that, right? Yeah. Plus, the whole movie is like them kind of projecting each other through... Time in, or Snoke yes. connecting them through time and space. And that's the yeah. second thing that I thought was like really wicked cool. And I totally believed it because you've sort of seen people be in each other's minds before. And so this just feels like that, but like built out a little bit further. Um, but there were some new things that I found very puzzling that again took me out of the movie because then I was spending a lot of time thinking, wait, why is that? possible so one is like snoke misreads kylo ren's thoughts so badly if he's so powerful well kyle he, he obviously underestimated kylo ren's ability to disguise kylo's own thoughts to snoke kylo has been underestimated the entire film right he, the snoke has been bagging on kylo since the first time they talked to each other so i think that's he underestimated Kylo. That's my explanation. I think that's pretty plausible. Okay, so that's fine for y for you. For me, sitting in the theater, what it made me start thinking was like there is almost always a sort of um, Kylo Renish figure, or Darth Vader, or whoever who's like the Hatchet Man. Yeah. And then above them, there's almost always this Emperor figure who has like even stronger Force powers. It mm -hmm. seems is that not yeah. fair? Yeah. And so then I was like, wait, if this one is so bad. And I, he also has, like, this intriguing, like, half face with holes in it. And, like, I don't know. He seems like a pretty badass guy. Unfortunately, we never get to know very much about him. Um, like, how did he become this powerful? Am I not supposed to be afraid of these emperor characters? And did I, am I maybe misremembering something from the past? And, again, I'm just telling you, my experience sitting in the theater is I'm thinking these two things at the same time, and it's taking me out of the movie. Right, the two things being um, why... The, the movie does a pretty poor job of establishing what Snoke's abilities even are. But right? I, I am meant to assume from The Force Awakens right. and from the first half of this movie that, that he powerful. is pretty goddamn powerful right. and that Kylo Ren is... That he can treat Kylo Ren so poorly because Kylo Ren is way less powerful. So right. if I'm scared of Kylo Ren, I should be way more scared of this guy. Right. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I guess... Uh, bad assumption, and I guess we're just moving on. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I, of all the issues you brought up so far, this is the one I'm least sympathetic to. Okay. I mean, think of like Return of the Jedi. Uh, I don't know if you remember that movie, but Darth Vader picked up the Emperor and threw him down a tube, right? So the Emperor is so powerful, why didn't he know that Darth Vader was going to do that? I mean, I just don't feel like this not only um, that's fine, but then I'm sitting in the theater having to remember that. And my point is, or to remember, like, oh, am I being unfair? Like, does this actually make sense or whatever? And I, I don't think that's, like, very considerate of the viewer if you're going to take, like, a hard left in the mythology. So a hard left for me is that Rey, who is not only very good at piloting a ship, understandable, check, because she, you know, works with ships. She's very good at fixing ships, understandable. She's a scavenger of electric parts, you know, can speak to a robot, check. She, like, I guess hangs out with robots at that swap meet place um, on <laughs> that island or that desert planet that yeah. she's from. Okay, fine. It's but like she's the, also super, super, super good with a lightsaber. And like, I recall, I thought Luke Skywalker needing some time to be get and not 
having that come easily to him. And so if it turns out that she's so good... Well, what? How are you defining that she is super good with a lightsaber, though? Well, you and I have sort of been through this, but A, she can use it at first, and B, she beats Kylo Ren, who is, we've just discussed, apparently very, very powerful. Right, but he was grievously injured during that scene. He was injured, but I still think an injured Kylo Ren should be better than me with a lightsaber. Well, Rey is slightly more talented than you with the lightsaber. We saw her, she uses that bow staff or whatever, we saw her defeat people with it earlier on in The Force Awakens. Uh, So I don't know that she actually is that good with the lightsaber is what I'm saying. I I think my point is, the implication is that she is very, very Force gifted. Yes. Right? And And so I, again, just have to sit and process, like, why is she not only Force gifted, but like when she goes to... Luke's Island, she is insanely force gifted. She is the, other than Kylo Ren, the only other person that he's ever seen um, who is this gifted, right? Right, right. Well, uh, you know, on uh, the podcast, one thing that was brought up was the idea that uh, often people who display insane talents come from unlikely circumstances. What, What do you make of that position? It is true that people who are talented can come from unlikely, unlikely circumstances. Um, Obviously, talent uh, doesn't care about your circumstances if we believe it to be largely genetic, right? Okay, fine. Um, It is not true that the vast majority of human invention through time has come from people that were um, resourceless. That's that's, uh, empirically not true. So that was the challenge that I had, was a, Mm. a gap there. Right. You're saying even in the case of Shakespeare, you know, that Shakespeare had... Uh, Shakespeare was literate. That takes right. resources. Right. You know. Uh, and that the idea that someone could rise out of nowhere to... Uh, it's uh, more common today, and it's more possible today. But I don't think that we should say that Marie Curie wasn't a person who benefited from a family that cared about her education at a time when women's education wasn't well invested in. Right. And and since you have that position that, okay, yes, sometimes people can um, surpass their circumstances, but their circumstances need to have a certain baseline level of quality is what you're saying? No, 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 no. I, and look, I, yes, that's what I'm saying about, um, say, like breakthroughs in chemistry. That is not what I'm saying about people who have the force or don't have the force. What, <laughs> okay, so like I, I want to make sure that we keep these two things very separate. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that someone who doesn't have parents couldn't possibly be force gifted and therefore couldn't possibly have become the heroine of this trilogy. What I am saying is that um, I just wanted some mythology backstory spelled out for me about why Ray is so gifted. Okay. In the prior eight movies, seven movies, I guess, because uh, we'll skip Rogue One, it seems like your heritage is very, very, very important, right? In fact, it's the linchpin. And if your lineage is your destiny, um, and she isn't like that, that's okay. That's just a big paradigm shift. And I would just have liked that delivered with a little bit more um, thoughtfulness for the viewer. Uh, In what ways did you think it was not thoughtful? Her training takes five seconds, and then she's better than Luke Skywalker was for most of the time we saw him on Dagobah. And you remember, he left Dagobah before his training was even complete. Yeah. So she's just, I guess, born whole, like a sprung from her head, father's head like Athena, you know, just completely fully formed. Yeah, but th- th- that inherently is not a, a problem, right? Uh, or do you think it is inherently a problem that someone could just be naturally gifted in the Force? No, it is a storytelling problem because it is not explained to me and it breaks the rules. Again, like this right, is about like, mythology. Like maybe, about- maybe Yoda could say like every now and then someone comes around who's like a one in a, tr- a trillion Force power person, right? Like or. You know, hey, there are like literally hundreds of people like this on every planet. Yeah. And they just don't know it. It's one in a million. And then or when like some old dude, Max von Sydow, happens to be in a village near them and then a plane takes off from his village and then crashes by them one ridge over, then like the secret plans that show the map to where Luke Skywalker is hiding, it's okay because there will be a force enabled individual right there waiting to be activated. 
Mm-hmm. That would be consistent and like not fun, but like at least it would like satisfy the question that I have. Right. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're saying that the preceding seven movies have set up a kind of a set uh, of rules, set of rules for for who is gifted in the force and and um, how they develop their skills, and that this movie just throws all that out, and that you found that very disorienting. I don't, and, and I really, really want to triple underline this. Yeah. If people change the rules, I am fine. I am not like oh the first seven movies. Like, we just have to live with it forever. It's our Bible. I am fine. I just want, from a storytelling perspective, for me to have breadcrumbs that lead from point A to point B. And I don't think that's too much to ask. It was just like a, it was very, like a whiplash, right? It's just like they're changing from one to the other with no transition time, right? It's not like it took three movies to get to Nor that. Nor is right? there an acknowledgement that that just happened. And it's like, you, viewer, just swallow it because I'm on to the next thing that is very strange. Like, that was my <laughs> experience of this movie. Okay, so, so point, point three, mythology. You yes. did not like how the movie treated mythology. It, it dramatically upends it, and you thought it did so in a way that was not artful. Is that fair? I, I found it inconsiderate of me as a viewer because I couldn't follow it. Okay. So I have had to spend a lot of time. I mean, maybe it's because I'm with somebody who thinks about this a lot. But, you know, like I, I feel like I've had to spend an inordinate amount of time just trying to understand what even happened. Okay. Final category. Tone. So I understand that for a lot of people, the tone of the movie was not their favorite, particularly because they didn't care for the humor being so contemporary. Is that accurate? Yeah. Do you think, summary? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Not even contemporary. I think that um, people just didn't like the corny nature of them, you know, Uh, that, that there is like... You can have humor that's contemporary that's not corny, and I think people thought this fell on the side of corniness. Which, corny, huh, interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm just, again, why don't you tell me your problems because people have complained about my ability to channel criticism. Okay. So why don't you just tell me your criticism? Um, well, so just to be clear, I understand that humor is an important element of all of the movies to date. Maybe Rogue One a little bit less so, mm. but like that there's always been this, um, like here are a couple of uh, moments from this movie, Last Jedi, that I think could have taken place in any of the other movies. One is um, BB-8 is helping Poe Dameron and like kind of having to plug electrical circuits with yeah. his little tendrils. And then he just and smashes his whole head into yeah, the circuit little, board. Beep, 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 you know, like it's a cute <laughs> little wordless uh, moment. And that felt totally within the same tone. Another one um, is Chewbacca roasting a porg and he's going to eat it but then he like tosses it away you know like so do you agree that those felt kind of like of a piece with yeah. everything else you've seen and totally and those it, not only is it similar in tone but there's also always some amount of that present throughout these movies so if i think of like what is the um tone kind of formula for these star wars movies it is some amount of adventure fundamentally some amount of humor and then some amount of grandeur So for me, the grandeur is really important because that is what separates. There are a lot of humor adventure movies like Pirates of the Caribbean or Guardians of the Galaxy or even to a large extent, all the Marvel movies. Um, But I think it is really special that the Star Wars trilogy or trilogies, whatever, the Star Wars universe, like has so much grandeur in it. And I'm talking about that like totally majestic, chilling to this day and moving to this day chilling and thrilling John Williams score, for instance, like that is beautiful in and of itself, but it also brings up these memories of these very grand moments and grand visuals. And like, I, I actually made a list of some of these visuals <laughs> from the movies that has just split my heart in half. Like please, over read, the please read us some of this list. Um, the thing that you think is a moon, but it turns out to be the death star under construction, you know, like the, is the, that the return of the Jedi, right? I think so. So yeah. this is like moments of what I would call this bucket of grandeur yep. that I, I feel like is one of the things that makes this all so special. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi turns off his lightsaber and chooses to die. And Luke screams like, um, uh, So you're not just talking about visual grandeur. You're talking about like big dramatic moments as well? Sometimes they're big moments, but sometimes they're not. So like... Um, this is a moment that was used uh, in the Force Awakens trailer as well as in the movie where you see a speed cruiser thing going by, the hulk of an Imperial ship, and then yeah. you start to realize the scale of that thing yeah. now that it's at 
the planet level and you realize what it's like to have crashed. Joseph Kahn says, Jesus, you're on point with everything. I got bodied, which uh, I think means I got destroyed, uh, Joseph Kahn is saying. So it, it, she's it, not even bodied, done with this point yet. Bodied, is that the uh, the title of a movie? <laughs> it's the title of a pretty cool movie. One of the most controversial movies of this year. So um, I feel like that movie is coming out soon yeah, somewhere. That should be exciting. Yeah, it has won a lot of awards, yeah. I think, also. Okay, yeah. anyway. Uh, other moments of grandeur. I have so many here. Um, from Hoth, when you see, I think it's the Adat fighters. Yeah. Is that what they're called? Uh, or Adat walkers. Walkers for the yeah. first time, and you see them walking in the snow. Like, oh, oh my God. Like, it still, you know, melts my brain. Um, in Rogue One, when Donnie Yen is going across the battlefield and he's saying his mantra, like, I want, want to tear up, like, talking about that. Um, oh, oh, the climactic moment in The Force Awakens for me um, when uh, Kylo Ren has been fighting Finn. And then, uh, like, the lightsaber actually goes to Rey. And, like, you realize... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, like, so excited. Uh, you realize, like, that she has this power. And, like, mm. I almost leapt out of my seat. And I said to Dave, um, even on the rewatch, like, that was a thing I didn't even know I wanted until I saw it. And then I, like, <laughs> was so appreciative that, like, J.J. Abrams gave that to me. So, anyway. Yeah. So, these are... So, you're, 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 you're like, tearing up right now talking about this because these moments have truly moved you in the history of it's the Star Wars franchise. It's not just that they're moving. They are like so uh, grand and resonant that like for me, they continue to be things I think about, right? They become right. like touchstones. So the rejoinder is, of course, The Last Jedi had like 15 such moments, right? That's where you're going with this. <sighs> I had a couple. It had a couple of things that I do think are quite beautiful and quite striking. But my problem with the tone is that when you have... When you have the humor mixed in with the adventure, I think it works pretty well. But when you have the humor paired with things that are supposed to be grand, it doesn't work for me. So like when Luke brushes the dirt off his shoulder in the midst of this battle, like that's not quite when I wanted it. Mm -hmm. Or when Poe is like undercutting the initial battle scene. Like I, I get it, but I felt that that dragged on quite a long time and it reduced the stakes so much for me that I was like not even scared of Hux anymore mm -hmm. because I was like, oh, Poe can't be killed because he's just hanging out there indefinitely. You know, like, <laughs> d does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from, again, from a construction Yeah, you thought from like a, from a filmmaking perspective, the, the film is signaling to you that this, per this character will not die. Right. right. Because of the way... Right. He's joking around, right? So there were a couple moments like this for me in this movie when the light speed, jump to light speed, uh, Laura Dern, I can never remember her character's name, Admiral, uh, Admiral Holdo, Holdo yeah. like cuts the ship in half. And like that is like, it's really played for maximum effect to the way that they do it. Um, and uh, not only beautiful, but like devastating, yes. right? Like incredible it, moment. It's a new thing that you didn't know was possible. Yep. And then... Um, the red plumes that are kicked up by the ships on the salt planet, like everything that has to do with the salt planet and that use of the color red for me is like really dazzling. But my problem is that these moments are actually not tied to my main characters nor to their emotional beats. So then... Hold on. Hold Okay. Uh, 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 so Holdo is not a main character, you're saying, right? right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, Poe and Finn are down there on the salt planet, the moment you just described, right? Well, but they're in the ships, but like that's not a personal plot or a character moment for Poe specifically. It's like just this, it could be anybody in those ships. And for me, it would still well, be he just does, as dazzling. He does make that moment. He does make that decision to try and destroy the battering ram and everything. Right. That's a personal moment. Right. But that wasn't tied to a stunning visual for me. <laughs> anyway, my point is for whatever reason, this movie is a little bit lower on the grandeur for, for me overall. So there were pieces that I liked. There were things I would maybe describe as grace notes, but there weren't things that had sort of the chilling, majesty that i look for um in these movies and so that you know look everybody's taste is going to differ and i understand that particularly when i talk about tone this is probably the most we're going to get into matters of taste but the other three dimensions i've described i hope are matters of storytelling i don't understand really the connection between tone and the grandeur that you're talking about like i'm saying the tone for me is in in star wars is adventure plus humor plus grandeur yeah and grandeur is what makes it special, and grandeur was the thing I missed the most. I uh -huh. saw plenty of adventure, and I saw plenty of humor. 
Gotcha. Even if sometimes the humor wasn't my humor, I saw that it was there, and I could see somebody else easily. So, so, it. so the humor didn't bother you then that much. It, what I'm saying is why I've been trying to figure out why the grandeur's missing because it's not like they didn't mm. try. And you feel like it's undercut. It's by undercut the hum- by the humor mm, because mm. the stakes are I lowered. I see what you're quite saying. a lot by the humor yeah. at times. Someone so does that make cha- sense? Someone in the chat room. Yeah, it does make sense. Oh, someone asked if there's only one or two grandeur mo- moments in the other movies. Does that make it not? Uh, anyway, I think there are way more grander move- moments in the other movies. I just didn't want to take like 50 minutes. To, like, <laughs> well, I'm sure people would actually like to hear. Maybe we'll put anyway. that at the end of the episode. But let's wrap up here. You have some closing thoughts for us, right? I think, you know, my biggest disappointment coming away from it is that, and, and this probably is my category two um, confession. Which category two are we talking about? Category two of your th- three My categories taxonomy. of fans. Yeah. Uh, so this is your confession as a Star Wars fan, right? Is that for me, you know, I grew up with, it wasn't like, oh, here's Darth Vader and he's evil. Like literally in my mind on some level, the embodiment of evil is Darth Vader, right? Like I learned what evil felt like from Darth Vader. And so those two things are you know, like, this is such a ruthless person. This is a person who will stop at nothing to achieve their ambition, and you are just in the way, so comply or, you know, like... Yeah. That, that's I'm altering what, the deal. Pray I don't alter it further. That kind of... Yeah. And so, to me, um, to have the dark side sort of neutered so much for me in this movie... Yeah, this is something is, that was really interesting. Like, you did not think Kylo Ren was an interesting character in this movie, right? I, I thought Adam Driver was magnificent in this Oh, role. no, no, no. I think that's not okay. accurate. I think Kylo Ren is very interesting. I think he's very complicated. You know, there's a point where Snoke says to him, like, you were wondering why I keep Hux around. I need a rabid cur. Yeah. And I was like, you know, Hux does not strike me at all as a rabid cur. Hux strikes me as a frightened bureaucrat (laughs) who's not very good at his job um and the person who strikes me as a rabid cur is kylo ren Mm. like you see that he's like the puppy that's been kicked but also really desperately wants approval and you know like particularly from a authority figure and you you get why that is and um he's the person who also gets made fun of quite a lot but you can see how like people that might be in power now in the real world, um, how that could make him very dangerous, you know? So I don't get that sense from Hux ever that if you make fun of him, it makes him somehow more dangerous, but I do get that from Kylo Ren. And so I, I think if there's a future episode, uh, someone nine, says Hux reminded him of Waylon Smithers. That's a pretty good comparison actually. Yeah. About as effectual. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so if there's an episode nine in which Kylo Ren is a really complicated face of evil, I actually think that's interesting, right? And I think that's new territory as opposed to this black and white version of good and evil that we had from yeah. childhood. Okay, like I can... Yeah, but sorry, I, I interrupted your point. You were saying that Darth Vader is where you learned how you learned what evil truly was and that this movie neutered that. In what way did it neuter that for you? I still think Darth Vader is truly evil. It's just that I'm not really afraid of my bads. Like I, I am not actually afraid in the movie within the movie of the first order Uh, for all i know they're going to build roads and make things more efficient and the trains will run on time you know they seem (laughs) a lot more organized than what about all those uh billions of people they killed in the force awakens remember with the star killer base and they killed yeah no 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 that's in a different movie though so again like sometimes (laughs) i'm in the mythology of this movie and sometimes i'm not right so sometimes i'm in the mythology of star wars and sometimes i'm Okay, Broken if, if I'm to interpret what you're saying charitably, I think you're saying that even though the last movie did a pretty good job of setting up the First Order as these big bads, you thought that this movie maybe undercut some of that setup, right? Yes. So things I see in the first movie, or in The Force Awakens, that make me feel bad. Uh, number one, they have the equivalent of a nuclear bomb, and they use it preemptively all over the place, right? <laughs> They're the only people with nuclear uh, power, so there's no deterrence. Uh, I see Kylo Ren torture people, people I like. Like, that's, mm. like, not fun. Um, so this feels very much... There, there is even a threat about these stormtroopers are now, we realize, babies that are taken at birth, so they are slaves. And we're not supposed to feel good about that either. Yeah. But none and of those things... you see the stormtroopers execute all those people in that village at the beginning of Force Awakens as well, right? Yes. And you see, like, actual blood, which is really rare in these movies. Yeah. So, um, you know, just the, the, the evil... My my fear there is sort of taken down, and if I'm not afraid of the bad guys, then... I don't know how sympathetic I am to this point of yours. I mean, I think you're saying that um, 
that because this movie doesn't show them doing a bunch of evil things that you're less afraid of them, which I just... No, but also because the actual villains get made fun of a lot and Snoke gets killed really quickly. And, you know, like, I actually just don't feel like in this film they're terribly fearsome. Fair enough. But, you know, like, whether you're sympathetic to it or not, like, that is how I felt. (laughs) You should feel this way. No, I'm just joking. Um, So I guess, like, you know, I... As we've talked about before, I really wanted to like this movie. Um, I, and I enjoy being able to explore even the casino planet. In Rogue One, I even liked going to the bureaucratic library planet, you know, like where the records were kept. I thought that was really cool. It's like this like tropical paradise that also happens to house these incredibly important documents, right, in Rogue One. Yeah, but I, I guess I don't know what I'm fighting for at the end of it because I don't, other than I happen to like the characters, I like Kelly Tron's character, I like Finn and I like Rey. Um you know, what, what are the stakes within the course of the movie, you know, for caring that these people carry on? Um, I feel very muddied about, like, whether she really is the last Jedi or there is no last Jedi or, like, what the whole situation is there. I get that the Force will continue whether the Jedi as an order exists or not, but, like, I don't know. Do you feel like the original trilogy did a better job of establishing uh, the stakes? What was at stake? I mean, because I feel like in the original trilogy, it's all about those characters that you see on screen. You're, you're Sure, you see a bunch of cannon fodder as well, but you also, you're attached to Luke, Leia. I mean, Leia starts as part of the Resistance, right? She's part of the Rebellion, I guess. And so, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I acknowledge that you feel this way about this movie, but I don't know that the original trilogy, let's say, did a better job there are many ways in which a number of the original movies aren't amazing, right? <laughs> yeah, I so, mean, can we agree? So, yeah, sure. That? But my, my question is, are, are we holding this movie to a standard that is beyond the original trilogy? You know? I don't know, but I'm holding it to the standard of did I want to watch it and did it make sense to me? You know, And I mm-hmm. don't feel like that's a super crazy high bar. I, I really don't um, because I, I think all these movies have flaws, but I'm perfectly – well, okay, not, not maybe episode – two and three, but like, I'm perfectly happy in general to sit through them. So, you know, I guess what I am trying to figure out is like for episode nine, like, where do we go from here? Mm -hmm. What is your new hope as it were? One thing that Jeff Kanata and Lindsay Romaine mentioned on the podcast that I thought was a super intriguing possibility is that, you know, up until now it's been framed as the Skywalkers are like the most powerful force enabled people. And like, this is a story about the Skywalkers, um, and how they're the greatest thing ever, or uh, one of them used his power poorly, and then the family's been paying for it. But what if the Skywalkers are actually the worst thing that ever happened to the Force, and now that the Skywalkers are basically going to be gone, order can be restored to the universe because you shouldn't have one family be that powerful that it can wipe out all of its enemies. You're saying now that the Skywalkers are gone, but isn't Kylo Ren is basically on the throne now or whatever? Well, I think... In episode nine, this is what I'm saying is yeah. looking forward if Kylo Ren could get killed and that would bring order back to the universe, like I could really be there for like kind of that because that has a majestic sweep, right? Like the long sweep of history. Mm. Um, that could feel the, really good. The entire previous nine films has been about the ascendance and then the purging of the Skywalker family, right? Well, that's a really harsh way to put it, but um, I do feel like that would feel like there was an overarching plan that we weren't like just kind of lurching from place to place and that, um, I don't know, it, it's something I had never previously considered. So I just thought it was like intellectually really cool. I don't think I could have gotten there myself without somebody else having said that, but both Jeff and Lindsay said that's what they believe, right? Mm-hmm. And so obviously Leia, unfortunately, will not be with us anymore. Um, so the handoff to new folks will definitely be complete if they kill Kylo Ren. Um, but I also hope that Ray gets some emotional closure. And a lot of people think that Kylo Ren lied to her about her parents being nobody. It's like they just can't accept yeah. the idea, like, because it breaks, again, the rules of the first earlier movies so badly. Um, I, I don't know. It certainly ha- has part to do with that. But I also think uh, it is just the nature of online fandom today that it will online fandom will propagate every permutation of every possibility. Like there is a line in Game of Thrones by Littlefinger. He says, you know, consider every possibility, like every reality is true, you know, or every reality will happen or something like that. That is online fandom. I remember I I bring this example up a lot, but spoilers for Breaking Bad. Um, 
there was a uh, there's a scene in Breaking Bad at the end of the series when uh, Gustavo Fring, the big bad of the entire series, gets his face blown off. And half of his face, half of his face blown off. And I remember listening to Vince Gilligan on the podcast or doing an interview saying they really needed to show him do that walk, straighten his tie, and then collapse. Because if they didn't do that, then there would always be somebody who thought to themselves, uh, maybe Gus Fring survived that blast. Like if it was an explosion and you, oh my gosh, Gus Fring died. Um, people, fans would be like, no, this, Gus Fring is so smart. There's some way he must have survived. And Vince Gilligan is a very kind person. He's like, you know, it, it's it's a good thing. Like, it's it's not a bad thing that fans do that. Like, they they want they they, they invest in these characters. They want them to survive. But ultimately, if you don't spell it out with a hundred percent certainty, anyone is going to doubt uh, the text. Even even the text, right? That's happened with Game of Thrones. You know, uh, oh, so, so many times people like something will happen on screen, and people will say, "Well, what if?" Not that happened, you know. Like someone will die on screen, and they'll be like, "Well, what if that person didn't die? What if they survived?" Fake news. No, yeah. I mean, seriously, they'll just they'll think that anything's wrong. So I personally don't think that um, Kylo Ren was wrong. Like Kylo Ren could have used the Force to convince Rey that her parents were nobody. It's possible Um, with J.J. Abrams at the helm. It's very possible. But I hope it doesn't happen, and it feels apparently JJ agreed with Ryan Johnson that like that would be a good outcome for Ray's parents. So, uh, so assuming that her parents aren't secret Skywalkers or Obi Wan Kenobi, yeah, or somebody else like of that lineage, I think what we're headed toward is kind of a wide scale rebellion of little people, right? Little people who were force enabled, broom boys, as it were, um, all across the. <laughs> Galaxy, Broom boys heeding some sort of force signal that they previously hadn't received, um, right? It, it, I think that's where we're yeah, probably yeah, going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that that's going to be a real... If the movie starts like shortly after this one, yes. Well, that's a question. I yep. think that there could be an enormous time jump because even for this group of people to recover from what's just happened, I think would take many years. Um, maybe they've been like going around and doing like community organizing, <laughs> like neighborhood meetings for like 15 years. Getting the broom boys of the world together. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that wasn't, again, wasn't super clear in this movie and kind of wasn't clear in the last movie is like, what is what is the uh, governmental hierarchy in this new world, right? That there is this first order. What, what I don't think we really find this out from any of the movies, right? What is their impact on, on the galaxy? We see the people on the planet with the long ears beat the children, um, and do bad things there. But that doesn't seem like a First Order uh, situation. So, uh, it, it, you know, there's this moment in, in The Last Jedi when they say, hey, we, we need to get our allies in the Outer Rim. Apparently, every time they say, you know, allies, they need to say Outer Rim in the movie. Uh, they say it, like, multiple times. And uh, the, no one came. No allies came. Right. So what is their situation? Is everyone just kind of comfortable living under their First Order and things aren't so bad, right? Like... What is the situation? I'm curious. I'm no, just curious. I am yeah. particularly confused because the people on the casino planet, who you would think they know what's what, right? Like they, <laughs> these are people who they're who smart people. Yeah, their self interest and their money um, don't seem worried at all. Right. Well, because they know it's not going to impact them. But <laughs> right. But but why won't it? <laughs> don't they need to live under the first order too? Right. No, but I mean, that's true of rich people here, too. They they tend to... No, in fact, I think the problem with the movie is it's making you make a lot of... Not the problem, but a problem for me is that it's making a lot of assumptions about rich people being bad. Mm. Fair enough. Because that's kind of the moment we're in, right? So... (laughs) Uh, My guess is rich people, it's a mix, just like everywhere else. Indeed. Well, I think that's a great place to end it. (laughs) Rich people, it's a mix. (laughs) I can see that in Needlepoint on a t-shirt. All right. Th- this is the last time we will probably speak publicly about this movie. Praise be. Until, until hopefully Ryan Johnson, um, who may, after hearing this, may or may not agree to appear on the podcast again, comes on the Slash Filmcast. Anyway, she's at Joy of Napping on Twitter. She thought Star Wars The Last Jedi was only okay. Hopefully some of her critiques resonated with you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later.